Welcome to episode 638 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Welcome back, Richard. And Thank you. Welcome back to our listeners, I guess, because we have listener feedback this week. Woohoo! <laughs> this was sent in to us at our email address, entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. But you know, another way you can leave us listener feedback, because there are many, is to leave us a comment on the YouTube post, because you might be watching this on YouTube right now. And if you are, hit the like button, click the subscribe button, and then leave a comment, I guess. Oh, look at that opportunity you took there. I saw that. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe, maybe I'll get better at this someday. <laughs> We'll do this in reverse chronological order, meaning that the the most recent message we got was from Justin. And he said, I do not recall who mentioned the A.G. Riddle book, but I can highly recommend his origin mystery series. It's more of a hard sci-fi with a little speculative fiction thrown in. Think Atlantis as in the mythical city. And if I recall correctly, some references to panspermia as well in the end and neither you nor i josh knew what panspermia was so luckily he defined it for us it's a hypothesis about life on the planet pretty cool yeah i also wasn't sure which one of us recommended the book by ag riddle it was me <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, was it wasn't the last me. book that i recommended oh wow uh, okay the, the extinction trials <laughs> I couldn't remember who wrote that book. It was really good. Uh, maybe I should check this one out. Maybe I should. Well, we also have another message from longtime listener and, and friend of the show, John. This was yeah, actually sure. from a couple of sure. episodes ago. He's, he, we call him a friend, sure. Uh, he, he's uh, moving up the ranks of friends of the show with, with messages <laughs> like this because... He wrote in to say, catching up on the CES episode, I understand that it is time for Richard to go. First, he wants a 720p TV instead of a 4K TV a couple of years ago, and now he wants that 720p TV to be 32 inches? <laughs> Talk about being born at the wrong time. Maybe time to give the young hipster James Montemagno another shot at being co-host. <laughs> Ouch! He says, just kidding, of course, I love listening to both of you together. It's one of my favorite podcasts of the week, and I really appreciate the time you both put into doing this. Well, thank you, John. We do this for friends like you. So keep the feedback coming in, and we'll keep putting out the shows. So, Richard, we're finally done talking about CES news. It's just back to regular news after what was basically three straight episodes. Of CES related content. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like video news is hot this week. And of course, everybody's been talking about the Apple Vision Pro coming out. And one of the things that got a lot of attention this past week when Apple announced what apps were going to be available was that missing from that list was Netflix. So they talked about a Disney Plus experience, an Amazon Prime Video experience, Paramount Plus, Discovery Plus, all the pluses and maxes, and no Netflix app. And when we say 
no Netflix app, we mean that you won't even be able to use the iPad app for Netflix on the Apple Vision Pro. Now, we know that Apple and Netflix have this really weird business relationship. I think Netflix doesn't want to play, but they know they need to be on the platform, meaning Apple TV and the mobile devices, but they're not biting on this. And they're intentionally not making their iPad app not work. We don't necessarily know why. We know that they've confirmed that they don't currently have any plans to make an app for the Vision Pro, but you could always watch Netflix shows in a browser on your Vision Pro. Won't that be delightful, Josh? It really sounds like the ideal experience. <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, it's probably not awful because you can always make your browser video full screen. And so you would have the full screen video experience in however that ends up rendering in the Vision Pro. We don't know, but it's just clunky, right? You're not going to be able to have just built-in onboard controls that work the same way as any other video player. And it's so Netflix. This is just so Netflix. I want two of my favorite companies to just play nice together, just get along. I own stock in both of them. I want them both to do well. They've got to figure out a way to do that in a way that is, I don't know, less adversarial. So I have a couple of thoughts. One is, I wonder if if this is not actually a, an adversarial sort of decision here, that maybe it's just Netflix saying, we don't think a lot of people are going to have this, so we don't want to support it. And, and And I truly mean support. Like, they don't want to have to deal with support calls and, and stuff like oh, that sure. for a very small, small, small fraction of a percentage of users using this thing if they don't have to. The other thing is you said that if it's playing in the browser, maybe it won't support native playback controls or whatever that the Vision Pro does. And frankly, I don't even know what all the Vision Pro does for these sorts of things. I don't do a lot of research on $3,500 AR headsets because I'm never going to buy one. But if if I were watching Netflix in Safari on a Mac, would the play pause button on my keyboard pause the video? Probably. So I would expect that any sort of play, like, because that's really all you're doing, right? Like you're not, maybe, maybe you would skip around a little bit, but probably not all that much in Netflix. It, it seems like sure. all you really want is play and pause. So if I can easily play and pause, with it running in the browser, then maybe this is a non-issue. But you might not be able to do things like skip back or say, what did he say? Or mm. turn on captions with your voice or things that you can just do with Apple devices and Apple customers are used to. I didn't so, know you could do that. Can I yell at my iPad to turn on captions? You can ask Siri to turn on <laughs> captions and Siri will turn your captions on. Huh. Interesting. As long as it's using the standard player. So the fact that they've just decided to opt out of all of that, again, not surprising, but absolutely annoying. Of course, you're right. It's a small group of people. Estimates are that maybe 180,000 of these have been ordered initially. 
projections are that they plan to sell about half a million of them in the first year. We'll see how this does. Like I said, I'm not planning to buy one anytime soon. I can't wait to be able to try one at some point because I think it's going to be really cool. But yeah, but they're not the only ones. No. So two other very noticeably missing apps are YouTube and Spotify. Now, again, it's early days. So a lot of these companies could be just waiting and seeing what's going on. YouTube has also said that the iPad app is not going to work on the Vision Pro. Why you're seeing companies make this decision, I just don't know. It almost sounds like they just, they're, they, I don't know. I, I don't know what, it, I, I don't, I can't anticipate or understand why companies would make that decision unless they're just wanting to stick it to Apple. And Google and Apple also have a history with YouTube and getting YouTube to work properly on its devices like the Apple TV. So maybe this will change. Who knows? YouTube, of course, is, I think, the most watched video service anywhere in the world. So there's going to be demand for it. And I suspect at some point this will probably change. Now, on the Spotify side, sure, music apps, is that really as important? There will be some music apps available, but is, I mean, I don't know how people are going to care, frankly, if Spotify isn't available, if there are other ways that you can play music. Would you care if Spotify wasn't available in your virtual reality headset? Well, it's got a web browser. Like, that's the thing. Maybe they're just all going back to what Steve Jobs originally said. Who needs apps when you've got a web browser? <laughs> yep. You you can run all of these in a browser. And, and for YouTube especially, there's so many third-party YouTube clients out there that maybe it's not as much of an issue. At least I, I assume on the Apple ecosystem there are, because there certainly are on Android. Yeah, I don't honestly know now that we actually have real YouTube on Apple TV. So I haven't gone looking for YouTube alternatives. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these companies end up deciding or not deciding to support the platform. And obviously, a lot of that's going to have to do with how well the platform does and how much control Apple exerts over the experience. Yeah. I mean, if these things take off like gangbusters, which is inconceivable at this price point, <laughs> then maybe these app uh, app makers, that doesn't seem, that's not really a fair <laughs> way of describing these companies, uh, change their mind. But until that point, there probably isn't. I, I kind of agree. Maybe not that much reason to spend the time or resources supporting this. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to stick with Netflix, like that was the, the first part of the story, at least, and uh, talk about a, a big thing that they're getting. So Netflix is moving into the live sports space, but maybe not in any of the sports that you would have expected, because they've announced this week that starting next year, January of 2025, Netflix will be airing live professional wrestling. So it will be the WWE Raw 
uh, events that are typically on television right now. Uh, it is their their biggest regular weekly uh, event. I don't actually know that much. I don't follow professional wrestling, but this is apparently the, the big one, and it will be broadcast live on Netflix starting next year in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Latin America, like all over the place. And if you live outside of the U.S., Netflix will have even more WWE wrestling content. So uh, there's two other regular shows, uh, NXT, which I'm guessing is just pronounced next, um, and WWE SmackDown will also be on Netflix uh, and lots of other content from WWE will all be on Netflix outside of the U.S. Now, inside of the U.S., they've got all sorts of other contracts and partnerships um, like WWE Next and WWE SmackDown. They're transitioning. They will be on the CW and USA, respectively, starting later in the year. And uh, really, the the big thing that WWE uh, made a shift to years ago at this point is they decided to just launch their own streaming service. So that's where people go for a lot of the content. But for these live shows, they've been on TV. And this will actually be like the first time ever that the main WWE TV show isn't going to be on regular TV because it will only be on Netflix. So Pro wrestling, certainly not where I expected Netflix to start with live sports, but wrestling's making a big resurgence. It's a much bigger deal than it has been. I don't know. It it seemed like it was huge in the 80s and 90s Mm -hmm. and then dropped off and then I guess came back in a big way in the last 10-ish years. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of came onto my radar when it took over what used to be called the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I remember when that happened. Yeah, so it, I think this is really smart. It, this definitely has a following. And for Netflix, which has wanted to get into sports in some way, but hasn't really had the right opportunity, this will bring new customers to Netflix. And that's probably more important than anything. We just saw reports about how the uh, addition of the the wild card game ended up bringing Peacock something like three million new subscribers, who are all probably going to be gone next week. But you <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> at least that got them some new eyeballs that they didn't have before, and Netflix will probably see that happen for them for this too. Yeah, yeah, not certainly not to the same levels as an NFL football an NFL playoff football game right being broadcast yeah yeah for sure all right well one more video story and that's about flex seems like we haven't talked about flex much recently but flex was at ces and they did have some stuff to show off and talk about and one of the things that they told jenko rogers who's one of the longtime reporters that probably heard about in the video and um, connected home space is that they plan to start selling and renting movies and TV shows sometime this year. Now, let me say that again. Flex is going to try to sell you or rent you content from Plex, inside Plex. Why? 
revenue opportunities ultimately, but it reinforces this whole idea that they've been saying for years and years is that they want to be the center. They want to be the place you go for all your stuff. I still don't think that's a good idea. I still don't think that's a good experience. They're not a good enough experience for that, but this would keep you in the Plex experience if you wanted to rent or buy some content instead of going out to, say, Apple TV or to Google or wherever you would go for your rentals and video purchases. Josh, would you be interested in purchasing DRM-laden content <laughs> from a third-party provider like Lex? Potentially. Uh, there, there would have to be two things that would have to be true for me. The first one is, I would have to be someone who's already spending a lot of time in Plex. And I'm using Plex more lately uh, than I had been frequently, you know, over the last couple of years. But it's not like, it's, it's not the first app that I open every time I turn on my TV or anything like that. But the other thing that it would need to have is Movies Anywhere support. Mm. Because I already do buy DRM'd digital movies and TV shows from third-party providers all the time. Yep. It's just Amazon Video or Microsoft or Vudu. You know, it, it's, it's not like I'm buying it directly from the studio. Like all of these are third-party purchases, but I'm purchasing them in ways that make them available on lots of other platforms through Movies Anywhere. Yes. And in most cases, maybe except if you bought them on your PlayStation from Sony, you <laughs> are expecting that you're buying these from big companies that are going to stay in this business, right? And right. so that's my concern about that mm. is that Lex is a relatively small company. And if I'm buying video that I know I'm not going to be able to watch unless there's some way of authenticating it and allowing me to get to it in the future from their services. I want that to come from a company that I expect will be around and continuing to support said video. And I don't think that necessarily is a specific studio, which is why I wouldn't have made a bet on Sony. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't be buying stuff from Microsoft. The players are kind of entrenched now. They're Amazon, Google, Apple, maybe a couple of others, and then maybe the actual studio itself. But again, I don't really like the idea of doing it for studios because none of them have stuck with it. Movies Anywhere would be a game changer if they were to adopt that because that could potentially bring all of your other movies that are all over the place into Plex. That would make Plex so much more useful. Yeah, but it, it does lead me to my other question about all of this. So if I'm buying a DRM'd movie and it's now going to show up in my Plex library, if I'm sharing my Plex library with you, are you able to watch it? Of course not. I, I would think not. Right. Like that. that is the that is the correct answer based on the way every other service licenses right. these things. Right. But then... Does that mean it just doesn't show up in the library? Does it show up in the library, but say, well, nope, sorry, you can't watch this? Like, there's So let, let's go back to, to how there. Plex defines libraries, right? You probably have 
three or four different movie libraries that you access because you have a library and you have access to other people's libraries. My bet would be that they will implement this if they implement it with movies anywhere or even through this rental thing as its own thing. It will be its own pinned item in your navigation. It won't be integrated with all your other titles, but it will be in search. And that's the important piece for discovery. For sure. Well, and and that is the thing that I like about this, because right now, my app of choice, if I'm wondering, where can I watch something? I pull up Plex on my phone and search for it there, because it does a really good job of telling me what services uh, I, I, I can watch it. And yep. if... If it wasn't available free anywhere and I had to to pay to rent or purchase it from somewhere and it tied into movies anywhere, then maybe I would just buy it while I've while I've got the Plex app open. Why not? Yeah, because once it gets federated to the other providers, it doesn't matter where you bought it. You exactly. have it everywhere as long as it's a movies anywhere supported title. Right. Remember, TV shows or not, that only applies to movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good call out. But so, do, do people buy TV shows? So I, I, I will tell you, I have, if there's a series I want to watch, Courtship of Eddie's Father as an example, and the only way to get it is if I buy it. So I'll buy it from like Amazon or Apple, depending on where it's available. Is that the situation for like, Anything that you want to watch other than shows that HBO just decided to take off of their service? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. All right. This will well, be fun to watch. I, I am curious to see how they roll this out. And your thought of movies anywhere, that is, um, yeah, that could make it worthwhile. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, here's hoping, but we'll, we'll see. Like this, and, the thing is, this isn't even the first time that Plex has announced that they were doing this. They said that they were planning to do this back in 2020. It didn't happen then. And lots of things have happened to Plex since then, including massive layoffs last year. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. All right. So let's move on to our one singular gaming story for the week. And that is uh, following up on more video cards. So last week we talked about the NVIDIA RTX 4000 Super Series cards that had been rolling out. And last last week we primarily talked about the 4030 Super. Well, the 4070 Ti Super, these names are getting ridiculous, just release a 5000 series chip already in NVIDIA. Gosh. Uh, it's it's available. It's out in the market. The Verge, we're going to link to uh, the review from The Verge. And basically what they're saying is the 4070 Ti Super is only roughly 5 to 10% better, like in terms of frame rates, than a 4070 Ti. And you're like, well, sure, but it's, it's better. <laughs> uh, and it costs the same as a 4070 Ti at $799, but is it worth it? Uh, I'm, I, I think this really comes down to a, a couple of other questions. The first is, what are you upgrading from 
Like if you've got a two or 3000 series uh, RTX card, sure, why not? Go for it. The other possibility is the the other big difference, that, and there's there's really two differences between the, the 4070 Ti and the 4070 Ti Super. The one is like the, the chips that we've talked about from really both uh, AMD and NVIDIA recently is these ones use more power. And so they, they run faster because they use more power. Same is true with this one. The other big difference is this, this card, the 4070 Ti Super, they have 16 gigabytes of video RAM as opposed to the 12 gigabytes on the, the 4070 Ti. And where that starts to matter more is if you are trying to play 4K games, 4K uh, textures are enormous. So they require more video RAM. So if you are trying to do 4K gaming on a 4070 card, uh, I mean, 4070 is not exactly where it's at when it comes to 4K gaming. That's what the 4080 and 4090s are for. But at 800 bucks, it's still cheaper than <laughs> the 80s and the 90s. So it might it might get you exactly what you need. But if you've already got a 4070 Ti or probably even just a regular 4070, it's probably not worth the upgrade. But if you're going from an older chip, then and 800 bucks is roughly the amount that you want to spend, then maybe go for it. But maybe also look at people who are unloading the non-supers and maybe get a good deal on one of those also because it's really not that big of a difference in terms of performance over the cards that it's replacing. All right, that's it for our gaming news. Uh, Not a lot this week. So let's jump into what's going on in our entertainment centers. So Richard, what have you been up to? A good amount for the the last few weeks, actually. So we finished watching, we, I finished watching The Night Agent. I know I've told you about the show. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. It's White House intrigue story, lots of action, definitely recommend it. They absolutely left it open for a second season, and I certainly hope they create one because I thought it was great. I also finished watching Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Edward and I have been watching that. That is the kind of takeoff from the whole King Kong and Godzilla world that has been established in the movies. This, I think, is canon. They tell the story as if it's canon. And it was great. High budget, absolutely a lot of fun, definitely good character development. They also left it open to another season, and I hope we get that too. This one was clearly expensive, though. So... I don't know how we're going to, how much more we're going to see. I mean, the monsters in this were just fantastic, but I, I want more. I absolutely want more. Watched another episode of the UK version of the ghosts. We watched the sixth and purportedly final season of the crown on Netflix. And you may remember that this has dragged on for years and ended up kind of breaking for a while during the COVID mess and then got back to things. And they made the decision to stop while she was still alive. And then when she passed, before they had finished wrapping 
the final production of it, they made some changes to make it more final. It does not go anywhere near close to her passing. So I really wonder, could they do more if they wanted to do more now that she has passed away? Because there was a lot of speculation when Harry made the decision to move out of the country that they weren't going to go there because it would just be, it would bring up too much pain. But now that she isn't with us, is that something that they would explore? I don't know. It would, I, there, I think there's an opportunity if they ever wanted to take it to do a whole lot more because they basically only go up to Charles's marriage with Camilla. So there's a whole lot more that happened since then. And it would be interesting to see if they decide to cover that. Anyway, I've really liked that. It was an interesting series to watch because of how they changed the cast every two years. And I think they did a very good job of doing that to show the queen and all those around her in their young midlife and older times. It was jarring the first two or three episodes you watched in the new seasons where they did that, but it was, it was kind of clever and it all blended well because there were other aspects that were that kind of hide it all together. Then I started to think I should get back to the Mandalorian. I never watched season three. So I decided to do some prepping for that. And by prepping, I mean, I clearly need to go and catch up on stuff because I haven't seen the Mandalorian for a couple of years now. Other series have happened in the Star Wars universe. And so I watched a bunch of YouTube videos about season two, rewatched the season two finale, which was fantastic, and then watched the season three premiere. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I was completely confused. It's because I forgot some stuff. And apparently, and I found this out from watching the Screen Crush channel refresher. Also, by the way, if you don't know about Screen Crush, great YouTube channel to find out what just happened on your favorite sci-fi thing that you watch. He does a great job with this stuff. And he reminded me that, oh yeah, at the end of Boba Fett, some stuff happened that I need to remember before I can really feel comfortable watching what's going on down in the Mandalorian. So I went back and watched the last three episodes of Boba Fett. And now I am ready to watch the rest of the Mandalorian season three. Watched a couple movies, watched A Haunting in Venice. That is the third and I believe final installment of the Agatha Christie modern movies that Kenneth Branagh had created. It was fine. It wasn't as good as the others. I thought the other two were very good. I just don't, I don't know. I wasn't familiar with the story. I didn't really think it was as good as the other movies. And then for some reason, and I really don't know why, Edward put on an old 80s made-for-TV TV movie, and see if this reminds you of anything, called Leona Helmsley, the Queen of Mean. She was the woman who was married to a real estate mogul in New York City and ended up basically in jail and said things like, Texas are for the little people. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
<laughs> it starred Suzanne Plachette and a bunch of other actors of the time. And it was just entertaining because it was so 80s. It was just so over the top of its time. And an interesting story that I didn't really know. So we watched that. And of course, we had some election stuff going on with primaries and caucuses. And so I watched returns come in and I think probably watched the shortest primary coverage I have ever had for the New Hampshire primary when the projections were made 20 minutes into the polls being closed. (laughs) Yeah. So that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And then continuing to read or listen to Outlive by Peter Atia, really, really enjoying that. And um, I, I would not be at all surprised if I end up making some changes to aspects of my life to maybe, I don't know, outlive my prior lifetime expectations. Ooh, sounds like a fun conversation for later. <laughs> all right. So that's what's been going on in my entertainment center. How about you, Josh? All right. Well, uh, I watched a movie, which is kind of rare for me, on yeah. Plex, on my couch. I I have not seen a Mission Impossible movie in forever. Like, <laughs> I I have always enjoyed the idea of them, but frankly, I'm not sure that I've seen any of them other than the first one with Tom Cruise back in 98 or whatever the heck that was that it came out. Maybe it wasn't yep. quite that old, but... It was a while ago, and every time one comes out, I'm like, that looks cool. I should watch that, and I haven't. So I decided, let's go back and and watch them a little bit in order, but maybe not all the way back. So I went back to 2011 and started with Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. It was fun. Uh, It wasn't nearly as complicated as I remember the earlier Mission Oh, the first one was just bonkers. (laughs) Are the other ones complicated or are they all pretty straightforward now like Ghost Protocol was? I don't know. And part of the reason is that Ghost Protocol is the first of those that I haven't seen. Oh. So I saw one, two, and three, and I saw them so long ago that when Ghost Protocol came out, I decided, oh, I should go back and watch the others. So I'm up to date. And so I watched one and I watched two, and then I never got to three. And then I never got to Ghost Protocol. (laughs) Well, it was good. The other thing that I really, really appreciated about it, Jen decided to watch it with me. It was like a a lazy Saturday late morning after a long run for me. And we didn't have anything going on. And so she sat down and watched it with me. And she enjoys a good mindless action flick too. And she, like, we get 10 minutes into it. And she's like, man, this looks so good. And I'm like, thank you. This is why I bought an OLED. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes that that is the correct answer okay. it is moments like those exactly so uh also uh, uh the expanse season three and now on to season four yay wow wow the the season three finale wow 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 the show it does just continue to get better uh also football i i know people are probably sick of me talking about this but I am still in a state of shock that the Detroit Lions are still playing. They are still in it. Right? 
They play in the NFC Championship game this weekend. It will be the hardest game they've had yet. But if they find a way to win it, they are in the Super Bowl, which is mind-blowing to me that this team is this close to potentially playing for a Super Bowl. Yeah. I'm on cloud Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So excited about that. The other thing that I wanted to chat about is a game that I, I just couldn't ignore. It is blowing up. It is a game called Pal World, and it is a total friggin' ripoff of really Pokemon and a, a game like Minecraft, uh, the survival mode, or maybe more like Valheim, where it is a survival game where you have to build a base and go and fight monsters, and then you build things and craft things, except that you literally build pal balls that look almost exactly like Pokeballs, and you go and you beat up monsters, and then you capture them in your pal ball, not to be confused with Pokeball, and then they work for you or fight for you. Like, it is such a ripoff from Pokemon, but the universe is going nuts about this game. I saw a headline today that said, like, maybe it was yesterday, there were more people playing Pal World on Xbox than Fortnite. That's how many people are playing this game right now. It's sold like 5 million copies on Steam already. It's been out for a week or or something like that. Wow. It's crazy. And it's done pretty well. Like I'm not huge into, like I've never actually played a Pokemon game because they always seemed like RPGs for babies. And I don't, you know, I've tried Minecraft. I've tried Valheim. I just can't really get into survival games but i was on the other night and some friends were playing it and i said sure let's give this a try and it is done really well it's done really well so if you can if you can get past the fact that it's a straight rip off of a couple of other games and try not to think too much about the fact that when you're collecting these monsters you're basically forcing them into slavery uh <laughs> i mean they're animals so maybe that doesn't feel that wrong, but apparently Ouch. you can actually capture non-player character humans too. Oh, so that's geez. problematic. That is for sure problematic. But it's apparently a really well done game, and everybody's loving it. and And I understand why. I don't think it's necessarily for me because I don't really play these types of games all that much. But I understand now why it is blowing up the way it is, and. It's on Game Pass on on PC and Xbox, so it doesn't cost you anything to to try oh, it out. There you go. You have Game Pass, yeah. So, who made this? Some studio I've never heard of. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, as you would expect, people are doing lots of digging into this company, uh, as they would with any game that that goes this viral. But from an unknown. Yeah, from an unknown. And when they start like ripping off uh, other major properties, like uh, people are doing research, you know, to the point where it looks like maybe they did actually just copy assets from Pokemon. Wow. Yeah. Like it, it, it could be super, super bad. Um, and there's accusations that they used AI to generate a bunch of, of, the code, I, I, I don't even know. Uh, so there's, I, I there's mean, plenty of things I, out there to read. But. Calling that an accusation is an 
awkward way of putting that, right? It probably is, yeah. I mean, but, you should be using AI to write code nowadays. I mean, nowadays, <laughs> that's a tool at your disposal, right? right? Right. Yes. I encourage my team to do this every single day. Use AI to write code that you don't want to write. But yeah, like it's worth checking out. It's worth reading about at the very least because it is a really interesting story going on in the gaming space right now. All right. Well, that is it for what's going on in my entertainment center. Uh, and hopefully I'll be talking a little bit more about watching Lions games for a few more weeks. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, but if you would like to get a hold of us and send us some feedback, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. I'm on Twitter. It's still at Josh Pollard. The website is at DigiMediaZone. Richard is over on Mastodon at Richard Gunther. Are you still the only Richard Gunther on Mastodon? As far as I know. Have you checked recently? Okay. I haven't. But probably. It it won't be hard to find Richard. So uh, at Richard Gunther for him. Uh, we've also been doing this show live. Uh, as a reminder, we are recording live on Wednesdays now uh, for the next couple of months around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And then, of course, we take the show and throw it over on YouTube. So head on over to the YouTube channel, like and subscribe over there. Leave us some feedback in the comments, too. That works also. But that's going to do it for episode 638. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.